Welcome to the Global Investor Podcast, a show that focuses on helping foreign investors enter the lucrative U.S. real estate market. Host Charles Carrillo combines decades of real estate investing experience with a professional background in international banking to interview experts in all areas of U.S. real estate investing. Now, here's your host, Charles Carrillo. Hello, Global Investor listeners. Before we start today's show, I want to let you know about Belgrad Homes in Tyler, Texas. They're offering newly constructed 130 square meter, 1400 square foot homes for $145,000. They are offering financing to U.S. and foreign investors for 30 years at 6% interest with a 30% down payment. If you're interested, please contact belgradhomes.com, spelled B-E-O-G-R-A-D homes.com. Welcome to another episode of the Global Investors Podcast. I'm your host, Charles Carrillo. Today, we have Ronnie Miller. Ronnie has been investing in real estate for over 15 years. He owns and manages over 100 single-family homes and commercial properties. He is a passive investor in over 2,500 units in six states and a general partner in over 1,400 units. Um, Ronnie also runs a chain of medical clinics as a CEO. So thank you so much for being on the show, Rodney. Thanks for having me. So uh, I briefly touched on your professional background, but can you uh, let us know exactly what you were doing before you got involved with real estate? Yeah, I was a, uh, my dad was a 32 year employee of an insurance company, worked his way up to VP and all that. So I just thought I'd follow in his shoes and, and uh, went to college, went to North Texas, barely got out of college, by the way, I was a terrible student in high school. But, um, got a degree in, in business, with a minor in insurance, got a job as a claims adjuster, Found myself in a cubicle, hating my life. <laughs> Did that for three to four years. But started started working on my escape plan, and then one day, uh, you know, all these chiropractors would, you know, such claims adjuster. I dealt with doctors and chiropractors, but these chiropractors always took me to lunch and stuff, and they seemed to do really well. So, um, I didn't want to go back to school. I didn't want to be a chiropractor. So I partnered with a guy getting out of school, graduating from chiropractic school. I knew the business end of of the. Uh, auto accident business and he, he knew how to crack the bones and all that. So we partnered up, bought a clinic in Oklahoma City. I lived in Dallas time. We both came, he's a buddy of mine. So we both moved to Oklahoma City, started, bought a clinic out. And then I bought him out about a year later. And I've had the clinics since, you know, we, we've grown it. You know, that was 94, I was 27 years old. We've grown it from three employees to three locations, 22 employees, six physicians. We've got everywhere from surgeons to interventional pain management, anesthesiologists. Um, and our, our goal is to hit 10, 10 clinics in wow. a 10 year period. So that's kind of where, that's kind of, that was kind of my, that's kind of still is my nine to five. I come to work every day. I, I office out of one of my clinics and that, that's kind of my bread and butter. Um, and I look at this real estate as kind of, you know, my future life someday. <laughs> so how did you choose real estate as your investment vehicle? You know, I always knew I needed more. I made a good money and everything, but I needed to figure out a way to really accumulate wealth. And, and as you know, doctors, high net worth people make good money, but your lifestyle usually creeps up into that area and you eat most of it up and you, you know, and, and you know, I learned one valuable lesson in 2000 that stock market was not the way I wanted to accumulate wealth and, and was going to be a really tough way to do it. But I, I started looking around for options. I liked real estate because it's easy to understand. It was very controllable. I controlled the outcomes and the tax benefits were huge. I had really good, uh, you know, ordinary income. I needed some way to offset some of that and, and, and 
real estate was just the perfect way to do it. Um, after studying all that, I decided I was going to jump in. But yeah, like 2000, if I back up, I was doing really good. Around 2000, family, kids, good income, everything was going great. And uh, um, I just got creamed in that stock market crash. You know, that really hurt me. Then 9-11 happened and my business got a little shaky. And uh, right about that time, you know, it's just, just I needed a backup plan. I needed, I needed a, you know, a plan B. I need something to fall back on. I needed, the, you know, the clinics to do well, but I also needed something else if things didn't go great. Kind of diversification. Yeah. Real yeah. estate was the way to do it. And then around 2004, I got, my, my son got an autism diagnosis. And we really, things really changed for my family. You know, we, he was three years old and, and uh, it really solidified my need for, for the need for stability. So we had a long talk with my wife. I remember we cried for weeks to try to figure out what we're going to do. Did research. ABA therapy is extremely expensive. It's 40 hours a week for a kid with autism and you need it, you know, all the way up until their teenage years. We're going to be traveling. We're going to be trying different trail protocols on them. We didn't know how we were going to do it. I just told my wife, you figure out what we got to do. I will make it happen financially. I don't know how I'm going to do it, but we'll make it happen. And so that's when I jumped into real estate. I was like, this is going to be how we make it happen. And so we just go head first into real estate at that point. Right. So for the, for the additional income streams and also for, um, obviously it was very important was the freedom of time for you with your situation. Exactly. Exactly. And so, you know, it was, it was more for the immediate need for cash for, you know, we flipped and wholesale properties and everything. But what I found is that the real value in real estate is the long-term hold, the long-term, you know, just the benefits you get down the road. And you can have both. Mm-hmm. You can get both cash flow and all that. But, but the big benefit, the, what really creates the, the, the generational wealth is the, is the down the road stuff. Yeah, it's the equity ownership that really generates a wealth in real estate. And there's so many other ways of making money in real estate, but they're usually just a transactional uh, paycheck, but, um, Absolutely. So, so did you start investing in single family properties? I did. I did. I started investing in single family properties. What I did was I, I, I wanted to really speed up the process. And so I went and joined home investors. Are you familiar with home investors? The, the franchise, the we buy house, ugly house franchise. So I jumped right in, signed up with home investors. Cause I didn't know anything about houses or construction. I didn't know what was behind a wall. That was a mystery to me. I know there are wires and pipes and all that. It was just was total clueless about real estate. So I jumped into home investors, got some really good training. And within three months of my son's diagnosis, I was spending 10 grand a month on billboards, radio advertisements, mailers. I mean, I was just going full, full blown real estate. And so I jumped right in and, uh, you know, we started flipping houses, wholesaling houses, um, keeping a few rentals here and there. Um, um, and so, yeah, just, just doing it first, but single families is the way, the way I, uh, I got started in the business. And I did that for a long time. I mean, it took, you know, up until about five years ago, it took me about 15 years or so to accumulate about a hundred rental properties. Okay. So I you, stopped, you, yeah, I stopped rehabbing, rehabbing wholesaling years ago, just a job is, you know, it puts you in the highest tax bracket. You're paying 40% taxes on that and you're running your butt off. So. I, I got more into accumulation of, of properties. So you, you did everything one by one. You didn't buy as a portfolio, which I didn't know. No, man. I went out there <laughs> and I slayed every deal myself. It was a lot of work. Jeez. A lot of time, man. It was, it was really pain, but it was paying off now, but I wouldldn't do it again if I had a chance to do it over again. Yeah. I changed the whole strategy. So 
I, I kind of know why you made the transition to multifamily, but how did you do it? You know, around 2016, once again, my son, um, he, he kind of plateaued in his treatment. And then we started really, it became pretty apparent to us that he was going to need to be taken care of full time the rest of his life. We, we weren't going to be able to do it. Um, you know, I had kids later on in life. So I'm looking at him, I'm 65, 70, he's going to be 30 and, and, and bigger than me. And, you know, and, and he already is, he's already outgoing me and stuff. And, and, and when you have a kid with, with special needs, you really got to start thinking strategically, what, how you can take care of this child? When you pass away, who's going to take care of him? And, and where's the money going to come from? Because for somebody to watch somebody with autism, it's a full-time job. You got to live in the house with them. You got to help them bathe. You got to help them do their food. You, you know, all that is is a is a uh, is a job, and it's about a hundred thousand dollar a year, you know, cost to have somebody take care of your child. And you know, it's not something you want to do when you uh, when you right before you die, or when you die, and then it happens. You need to do it before that. You need to have them situated, have them in a comfortable place, know that he's in a good place. And so that really, really changed our whole RL outlook. We, we really had to figure out how to do that, how to get that kind of income to make that happen. About that time, my wife got diagnosed with lupus too. So managing all this got really difficult for her. I saw the writing on the wall. This is going to kill her. She can't do this the rest of her life. She's managing his therapy. We have a therapist come in one day, every day, you know, for four, eight hours a day. And she's managing all that and the stress and all that. So we had to, to get bigger, faster, and multifamily um, was the way that I felt I could get there. And so then I started taking a really close look at multifamily, and uh, and uh, it, it proved to be true because it took me the first deal I did was three month process. I bought a hundred unit apartment complex, which took me fifteen years to get to get a hundred houses, three months to get a hundred units. So I was like, why didn't I do this earlier? You know, so. Uh, the scalability was just just a big important thing. We have to scale faster. Yeah. So yeah, that's it's it's definitely three months versus <laughs> ten years that you waited for the same amount of units. Yeah, that's right. Too. Like I, I'm in the medical business, so I, I consult a lot of doctors, and 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 these these guys watch me do stuff, and they'll come to me and take me to lunch, and be like, "Hey, you know, I'm a surgeon. I started a conversation surgeon a couple weeks ago. He's like, I really, you know, I want to get in real estate. So me and my wife said we're gonna buy rental properties, you know. And I was like, dude. How much do you make a year? You make over a million. I know you own piece of a hospital. You do surgeries. I was like, do you know how many single family homes in Oklahoma you would have to accumulate to, to replace your income? Do you know how long that's going to take you to do that? And so I kind of steer them more to commercial real estate and, and uh, multifamily just based on what I've learned. So. Yeah. It's also one of those things too, is I see people with high income uh, jobs or businesses and they want to become full uh, active real estate investors. I'm like, I'm like, man, you just want to be a passive investor. I would do the same thing if I had this other business prior going on over here that was making so much money. But yeah, um, yeah. I, I, tell, I talk to him about a transition. Start passively while you're, you're working in your craft. And this is mostly the doctors. But someday, instead of retirement, transition into a full-time real estate investor. Become a general partner. You've learned the, you know, if you learn the business, you, then maybe you can sell your practice. And then you can get a laptop and travel around to your beach house or whatever. And you can keep, you can keep, keep the money rolling in. You know, when you retire, the money stops. You've got to get, you got to put everything in the stock market. Hopefully you'll get your 7% returns or whatever. And 
but this is a way to keep the money rolling in and you can make, you know, you can have fun doing it too. It's, it's a fun business. Yeah. So uh, you focus on niches a lot between your medical clinics and your real estate investing. How important is it for an investor to realize a niche and uh, settle on it and focus on it? I, I think it's extremely important. I've learned this through my business career because I, with my medical clinics, I was all over the place. Like my medical clinics, we've done weight loss, hormones. We had a stem cell therapy clinic and interventional pain management. And it wasn't until I learned to stop looking everywhere and be good at one thing specifically that things really changed for me. And the same thing with real estate. You know, when I was doing single family homes, I was flipping, wholesale, hard money lender, buying notes and mortgages. And you can't get good at, at all those things. You can get mediocre at them. But once you drill down into one niche, one thing, uh, you and put all your focus into that. You can be really, really good at it and excel. And so with multifamily, I'm not, I'm not doing anything other than multifamily. I'm not buying houses anymore. I'm, I'm, I'm not loaning money. I'm not doing anything. I'm, I'm all in on multifamily. That might extend to mobile home parks because there's a little correlation there. And that is kind of multifamily. But other than that, I'm not really looking to do strip centers or, you know, new development, you know, deals or, um, industrial. I understand multifamily. The longer I do it, the better I get at it. And, and that is my niche. But niches, the riches are in the niches. <laughs> That's for sure. That's definitely Absolutely. for sure. Absolutely. It's also another a whole nother ball game when you're going into a commercial asset that's not a like multifamily where you're you're not going to be like when so on. I, I manage my own properties for six years and I, you know, I could put up an ad and I could rent it within two days in an apartment. Right. And uh, after it's made ready and it's, you're not doing that if you're renting out a medical office with six examination rooms, um, you're not doing that for a store. You're not definitely not doing that for 10,000 square feet worth of office space. It's not, someone's not, you know what I mean? It's, it's a, it's a yeah. very, you've got to have, bigger pockets and you've got to have for reserves and everything else that go along with it. So that, that always blows my mind. I'll drive by, uh, you know, a 20,000 square foot, you know, building sitting there for years, just, you know, yeah. just sitting empty. And I'm like, who can do that? Who can get by a building and, and sit there for years while it eats up taxes, insurance and all that waiting to fill it up. And that's not the game I want to play. I want to yeah. buy stable assets with renters, uh, multiple renters in one area in one building and, and, you know, and manage that. It yeah. Makes more sense to me. Yeah. I'm not smart enough to do it that way. And I don't have the money to do it the other way. So. One of my dad's partners growing up, he used to say commercial property is great when it's occupied, but when it's vacant, it's extremely expensive and yeah. uh, words it's to live by. <laughs> <laughs> so um, yeah, we've spoken previously about being strategic in your multifamily business. Uh, and not transactional. Can you explain like what that means to listeners? Absolutely. So, so transactional, and this, this applies to any business. Transactional is just chasing deals. You're out there chasing deals and you're putting out fires and you're, you're, you're just taking the business as it comes. It'd be like a, you know, a dry cleaner, you know, you know, just, Hey, you know, transactional, you get the, you get the clothes, you clean them, you give them back. But, but when you really, if you really want to build a business and you really want to, um, Build something big and special. You have to be strategic. You got to stop. You got to slow down. Take a few steps back, and you got to start planning. You got to plan out 
what you want and how you're going to get there. And that's painful. It's slow. It's painful, but it's so necessary to address those things. I met a guy at the BEC conference. You'd know who he is and he's got a partner and very, they're very reputable and they've done a lot of deals. And he told me, he's like, you know what? We're slowing down because this is unmanageable. We're going to slow down. We're not going to buy it for a while. And we're going to work on, you know, he goes, you know, we have two different emails. One's a Gmail, one's a Yahoo. We're going to get a website. We're going to get the same email and we're going to get on the same page and we're going to, he's getting strategic, but the best time to get strategic is when you're, you're not too big and you can get all the partners in one room and you guys can sit down for one or two days and really think through what your goals are, you know, what you want out of life, well, where you want to take this, and then you start working your way backwards and you don't stop meeting. You meet quarterly, you meet weekly, and you have, uh, you know, you have huddles. Right? What, what do we want to grow to? When we get to 5,000 units, how many people, you know, what's the order chart? How many people we need to bring on when we hit 2,000 units? What are those positions going to look like? How many, you know, and you're just really thinking through the steps of growth and you're, you're setting, you're setting goals down to the quarterly goals and you've given everybody their rocks that they have to track and they have to work on and you're holding everybody accountable and everybody's on the same page and you have an alignment and everybody's moving in the same direction and man you get so much more accomplished when you do that so much more Abe Lincoln said give me six hours to chop down a tree and I will spend four hours sharpening the axe <laughs> well, exactly. kind of, you know that's kind of the whole the same philosophy here so and with today, everything, I speak to new real estate investors or people that are aspiring and they're like, oh, you know, I've got a partner, I've got this. And, um, you know, they've got, uh, I'm like, hey, get on, get on Slack, get all your stuff set. All that stuff is free now. I mean, Slack yeah. is something you can get on it for free with as many people on your team pretty much. Uh, keep in contact with everything. Everything's free. I mean, you can, you know, in the beginning stages, as you're making money, as you're growing, you get to start paying for stuff. But there's so many you know, for CRMs and for, you know, what we're doing with Zoom and anything like that, um, you can get in touch. It doesn't matter where your partners are. You can get in touch with them. You can, you know, there's free goal planning software. There's everything. Absolutely. So, Absolutely. so this is the time to do it. Things are slow. Oh. I doubt anybody's going to be buying anything in the next few months. Take this time to really plan out what you're going to do when things soften up and, and when everything goes on sale plan out your business, keep with your partners. So, you know, Mike, Carl and I, you know, we were going to do a two day offsite strategy session. We had an implementer that was going to meet with us. It was costly, but we were going to sit down for two solid days offsite somewhere and plan out, you know, you know, what are our goals? What are, what are our values, our common values? What's our mission? And how are we going to, how are we going to align ourselves to, to all that and break down our goals and everything? And that all kind of fell apart with this COVID stuff, but we're going to do it uh, digitally now. We're going to do it on Zoom. We've got the implementer lined up and we're going to spend one solid day together doing that. And then we're going to spend another day to, to put a bow on it. And then we'll do a quarterly follow-up. We'll do weekly meetings and, and the meeting cadence is really important. You want to meet weekly and you want to, you want to check off items that need to get taken care of and everybody's got their own items to take care of. And just, it's just strategic, get strategic. What, uh, what systems do you guys have in place to manage what you have going on now? You know, we, we could always be better. We're always improving, but we, we use that folio, uh, real powerful uh, property management software. Um, we didn't have that before. We used another property management company and they had a really crappy system, but we, we got on that folio. That's what I've always used for my rentals and we just, I just love it. 
very organized. Um, the Aptly also came up with an investor portal. So we, we just got an investor portal. We started with the IDS model and then we got away from them and went to the Aptly investor portal. So now we have an investor system. So we have the investor uh, portal uh, set up for our investors. We have active campaign that we're working on to manage all of our prospects and leads. We got a VA that we're training now, bringing on board to manage our active campaign. Um, and we're working on our systems and processes. We're trying to document everything that we do. You know, new people that do their first transaction really highly suggest your first large multifamily deal. When you're, when you're in the process of, of going through your due diligence, working with your lenders, working with your, with your uh, attorneys, document that process the first time, document it. And then the second time, put a boat, you know, really work hard at really finding that process and document that as you go through it, because it's going to be invaluable the next time you go through the same process. And you someday you'll be able to take that, hand it to an employee and go, here, here's how we take investor money. Here's how we make sure that uh, SEC requirements are made and all the forms are, you know, and, and eventually you can, you can take that off your plate. And I, I handled all the investor stuff the first time. And I don't like doing tedious crap. That's the last thing I want to be doing. I like to think high level and strategic, but I, I wanted to learn it so I could document it and pass that on to somebody someday and take it off my plate. And that's just how you slowly build your systems for your company. Yeah, record every step you're doing with whatever you're doing, like you said. And then when you're hiring those VAs, when you're hiring that assistant, whatever it is, you now have a game plan, a business plan, a plan for them of what you're doing for to what you've done, right? What has to be done. And I do the same thing with VAs now. And we'll do like, um, when I give them tasks, we'll do like the screen, you know, the screen videos, everything. And it's like spelled down to the, you know, I can send it to them and do whatever I want, come back in uh, 24 hours and they've started the project and there's no issues because you have to spend it. I think that's the problem with people when they hire a VA, even if the person has experience in what you're asking them to do, which, which is usually the easiest, um, it's, it's always going to be a little different. So you have to spell it out. And you're not spending enough time with that VA. They're just going to be wasting time, getting frustrated. You're going to be frustrated because you, you're just piecemealing together the plan of what you're doing. But if you have a straight plan you sent to them, they're going to appreciate it. And they're actually going to know what to do. So. Oh, absolutely. It's like a training employee. You, you invest a lot of time up front with that person, just like you would a VA. And you, you take that time to really get them trained. You don't, it's not a hit and run process because you will be frustrated and, and they will be frustrated and won't work out. You really invest the time and hopefully they'll stick around, but you invest a lot of time and effort in that employee, making sure that you guys are on the same page and they understand, you know, kind of their, their role and their position with your company. And uh, it'll pay off in spades if you, if you do it the right way. So I totally agree with you on that. So we're going through COVID currently and, uh, you know, you went through the recession of 08 uh, with 60 homes. How did you weather that storm? You know, I really didn't have to weather it. And that's the beautiful thing, man. I, my, my houses are all bread and butter, $75,000 houses. You know, my typical, my typical uh, um, tenant is a plumber, electrician, construction worker. Um, in 2009, I mean, in 2008, I didn't really have any, any, my vacancies didn't really get that low. We didn't see a whole lot of fallout. Rents kept coming in, you know, it blows my mind to this day. I just didn't have any issues with it. Um, and in 2009, rents started going up. People couldn't get mortgages anymore. So more rentals flooded in the market. I mean, more renters flooded into the market. So rents started rising with inflation and everything just went up for me. And it, it just, um, it really solidified 
that I'd make the right decision on going into, because I had friends that went into the $200,000 houses. I like class C single family homes and class C multifamily homes. And I, I'm hoping that what I experienced in 2008 with my single families will for the most part, uh, you know, be reflected in, in this catastrophe. That these folks can can stay on their feet. They're the backbone of the country. They get up and go to work every day. And I think with all the stimulus stuff being thrown at them with, with the unemployment benefits and all that, even if they do lose our, lose our jobs, I think that we will weather the storm okay with these folks. Back in 08, people were saying about um, problems they had with, um, with some of their rentals. But with us, I wasn't, you know, we weren't raising rents aggressively, but they were still going up two, 3% a year. Um, so I wasn't getting, you know, huge increase on rent, but had no, I mean, it was same, you know, it's same as collecting rent now was it 10 years ago. You know what I mean? So it was, um, it wasn't that much different when you're in that C class C plus housing um, where we didn't have times we went with uh, high vacancies or anything like that. But um, you know, I think if you provide uh, your tenants a clean, um, safe house, and you give them uh, a reasonable rent amount, they really have no reason to go to another house. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. If you're if you're in line with the other rents and you're a good, proactive uh, landlord, um, in communication, you just got to communicate with them. They got to know you're there for them. If you need anything, you got to be responsive. But if you do that, I mean, why would they leave for the most yeah. part? Yeah, for sure. So what is your team doing specifically yourself to handle COVID? I mean, we, we know what the government's trying to do. And there's probably going to be more to come, but what's, what's Trident doing? Man, it just comes back down to communication. We, we immediately started really uh, stepping up our communication with our property management companies. Um, we formulated plans on, on how we're going to handle this. We, we, you could, I mean, I could give you links to these, but we did some, you know, we, at first we sent out a letter to all of our tenants, you know, the coronavirus update, what we see coming. We know the times might get tough for everybody. Um, and just said, ask them, please communicate with us. Communication is the key. And we will work with you. We will work with you in your situation. And then we sent out all the rent assistance programs and the you know, unemployment benefits they can get. And we tried to coach them and give them information on all the, 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 uh, the plans that are out there to help them in this time of need. And then we set up a payment agreement form. So if, if you struggle, this is not a rent holiday. We want to make it clear to our tenants. It's not a rent holiday. You're going to pay your rent, but we will work with you. We understand you're going through hard times. If you need to, we will, we will, we'll work with you on your rent. We will we'll, we'll do a payment program, let you stretch it out. Maybe we'll put you on a, you know, uh, 18 month lease to, and, and, and bump you up a little bit to, to get caught up and all that, but we, we can work with you. And then we just tried to build a fence around our herd. We went to all of our tenants and said, look, you know, we understand the times are going to get tough. You could get sick. We will be here for you. If you do, you're in the right place. If you get sick, we'll deliver your stuff to you if you need it. We'll run your errands for you. Whatever we got to do. So we just want to keep people in place, you know, for this for this deal. And we have in, in this property that we did in Tulsa, we have about 30% Section 8. And our original goal was to, you know, because we're not in a Section 8 area. We were going to upgrade the property and we were going to slowly transition out of Section 8. But we just said, freeze. Section eight can stay. We're not going to put a lot more in there, but we're, we're happy letting those folks stay there because the, you know, their rent is almost guaranteed. 
and uh, we'll work with them. And we'll, we'll, you know, we took our CapEx budgets. We had a large budget for the Tulsa property. We just froze it. You know, we're gonna do a lot of really interior upgrades, churn out the current tenants and all that. We stopped that. We're still gonna do our exterior CapEx projects because we really need to bring up the exterior of the property. But we, we need to, to reserve capital too. We're, we need to keep capital in the accounts to see what's gonna happen over the next few months. We also stopped distributions. We temporarily suspended distributions to all investors. And everybody to IT understood and, and understood what we were doing, um, except for maybe two people that raised hell that, you know, we're like, are you watching the news? <laughs> Come on. Yeah. So uh, other than that, after we explained it to them what we were doing, uh, you know, they, I think they, they calmed down and everything, but you know, just, just trying to preserve capital and preserve the investment. That's, that's the key, you know? Yeah, it's better to preserve the capital, and hopefully you're you're paying out those reserves later in the or the um, the pref re, uh, returns later in the year. But uh, it then it's better than that doing that than it is. Hey, we're having a capital call, and we need investors to put money back into the deal again. So, absolutely, and like I said, most people understand that. Most people have been in multiple deals. They they know how how private equity works and everything. So we didn't get a lot of pushback. Just a few people. Yeah, two people. Of course, there's always that. <laughs> oh yeah, you get that. That's a pretty good number, I guess. You know, yeah, consider all of our investors. So, so Ronnie, how can our listeners learn more about you and uh, and your business? I would say go to tridentmultifamily.com. You can learn more about Trident Multifamily and, and see the partners, uh, Mike Van and Carl Supercrop, and uh, kind of you know we've laid out everything in there that you know how we do business, our mission, you know, everything that we stand for. Um, we're adding a media page for all of our, uh, interviews and, and, you know, we do a lot of podcast interviews and get out there. Um, and so we'll, we'll have a media page set up there pretty soon. If they want to email me, it's Rodney at tridentmultifamily.com. Um, they can email me to reach me and, um, that's really it. All right. Sounds good. Thank you very much, Rodney, for being on the show and uh, look forward to uh, speaking to you in the future. Thanks, Charles. Talk to you soon. Take care. Hi guys, it's Charles from the Global Investors Podcast. I hope you enjoyed the show. If you're interested in getting involved with real estate, but you don't know where to begin, set up a free 30-minute strategy call with me at ScheduleCharles.com. That's ScheduleCharles.com. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Global Investor Podcast. If you like the show, be sure to subscribe on iTunes or Google Play to get new weekly episodes. For more resources and to receive our newsletter, please visit globalinvestorpodcast.com. And don't forget to join us next week for another episode. Nothing in this episode should be considered specific, personal, or professional advice. Any investment opportunities mentioned on this podcast are limited to accredited investors. Any investments will only be made with proper disclosure, subscription documentation, and are subject to all applicable laws. Please consult an appropriate tax, legal, real estate, financial, or business professional for individualized advice. Opinions of guests are their own. Information is not guaranteed. All investment strategies have the potential for profit or loss. The host is operating on behalf of Harborside Partners Incorporated exclusively.